the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Law Offices of Selwyn Whitehead is a debt relief agency under federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking debt relief under the United States Bankruptcy Code. This is Selwyn's Law. Every week at this time, we get to hear from Selwyn Whitehead. She's not just an attorney at law. Selwyn knows her stuff and doesn't shy away from the truth, even when it's ugly. Her Bay Area practice focuses on helping her clients to manage their wealth through estate and tax planning, to managing their debt through reconstruction or bankruptcy. And now, it's time for Selwyn's Law. Good day, and welcome once again to Selwyn's Law. My name is Selwyn Whitehead, and I am a California Bar Admitted Attorney, and I'm also a Bankruptcy Law Certified Specialist who's been certified by the State Bar of California's Board of Legal Specialization. So in addition to my JD, I hold a couple of master's degrees, one as a master of the laws of taxation law and a master's degree in the laws of intellectual property laws. Now, both of my great master's degrees were obtained from my favorite alma mater, Golden Gate University School of Law, located in one of the most beautiful cities in the world, San Francisco. Now, because of my training, my experiences, and my lifelong interest in business and economics and the role that they play in the lives of everyday people like you and me, I primarily practice bankruptcy law, debt wealth management, estates and trusts, and real estate law. And I also do taxation law. And I'm also proud to say that as part of my overall practice, I'm sometimes able to utilize the opportunity to at least seek out and attempt to vindicate the rights of seniors who may find themselves the victims of some of the more pernicious forms of financial elder abuse that's running rampant in our economy today because more and more of us baby boomers are retiring and more and more charlatans think that they have a right to our money. And, you know, these folks can wipe out a life's worth of income and wealth in a matter of moments. So I don't like these guys so much and gals so much. Now, I'm coming to you again today uh, in my continued voluntary lockdown because of COVID-19, because I don't want to infect you and I don't want you to infect me. And I think we all should be in voluntary lockdown unless we're going to the grocery store or visiting our doctor or going and taking care of our children or our seniors after we've gotten the advice from our doctors. Now, I come to you because I'm in lockdown from my makeshift studios in my home in another great city. And that is the always beautiful city of Oakland, California. And I come to you to discuss some of the financial and legal issues confronting individuals, families, and small business owners. However, I must once again ask you to please note that this show does not provide any legal advice. 
nor am I developing an attorney-client relationship with anyone within the sound of my voice. Instead, this show strives strictly to serve as an educational forum for the exchange of information from me to you that might be helpful to you as you begin your search for more detailed information that's tailored to your specific set of facts and circumstances. And hopefully I can provide you with at least an outline of some of the key issues that may help you seek out and find qualified professional help. And I do this because, as I'm known for saying, representing yourself, especially when you're dealing with matters of finance that make a, may determine whether or not you can keep a roof over your children's head and put food on their table. And I think that when you represent yourself in a legal matter, it's like taking a butter knife to a gunfight. Butter knives and gunfights don't make much sense. And as a result, if you're lucky and you get real, real close to your adversary, and she is napping, you might be able to scratch her on the arm or even poke her in the eye. But more than likely, you're going to be dead on arrival. And that is to say your righteous claims against your adversary and your valid defenses protecting you from your adversary will likely see the promised land way before you do. As such, I once again share the purpose of this show, Selwyn's Law, in case you haven't guessed it, it's to discuss the law as related to your money and finances. And more than likely during these days, the lack thereof and what you need to consider to protect your and or your families and or your small businesses and or your employees' health, wealth, and money-related well-being is I understand these concepts in this non-threatening form. With that said, we're going to take a little side trip in our discussion of bankruptcy and look at it on the other side of the coin, which I consider important. That's entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship is what gets you into business in the first place. But things can happen, some of them your own bad decisions, or outside factors such as COVID-19 and the pandemic and what you can do to write that coin again. So again, I consider entrepreneurship and bankruptcy utilized effectively to be two sides of a single coin. And we're going to consider the flip side of bankruptcy coin by actually looking at some of the key issues in small business bankruptcies that's taken from a book that I'm in the process of writing. Now, while this book I'm writing is geared towards young lawyers and young people interested in becoming bankruptcy lawyers when they grow up, as you can tell, I haven't quite grown up yet. Uh, But if you're interested in this work, I, I think it would also provide some insight to small business owners and their families in financial distress. And generally, it's because of a lack of liquidity. And, and, and what do I mean by that? If you're in business, you're provided, providing goods and services to entities that are consuming it, entities, uh, people, other businesses, small businesses, large businesses. And generally what happens is your Credit your clients are not making their payments, so you don't have the liquidity to pay your vendors and the tax man that you're obligated to. And so, 
that's why you're in a bind. You have a really great idea. You have really good products and services and people are buying them or want to buy them. But because of either an economic turndown or you made a bad choice in selecting your clients, they're not giving you the money that you need to flow through your system to pay your rent, to pay your employees, to pay your taxes and to replenish your um, your inventory of, of, of goods or your inventory of ideas. And so we need to look at the difference between a Chapter 13 bankruptcy for a business owner and an individual slash small business bankruptcy under Chapter 11. So chapters are the chapters of the bankruptcy code. And again, that's what we're going to uh, take a look at. And then after we get a grounding in the difference between a Chapter 13 bankruptcy for a small business owner and an individual slash small business uh, bankruptcy under Chapter 11, vanilla, plain old vanilla Chapter 11, then we're going to take a look at a new kid on the block, a new species of bankruptcy that just came into being this past February of this year, 2020, and it's known as a sub-Chapter 5, Chapter 11, which is a hybrid between the Chapter 13 small business bankruptcy and the existing Chapter 11, which is basically a, a kind of bankruptcy that has rules and procedures for very large corporations that are in bankruptcy. PG&E that just came out of bankruptcy is, a, is an example of the focus of that Chapter 11, big entities, but it's kind of been smushed around a little bit to make it for uh, small businesses. And as a result, not very many small businesses have been able to complete these programs and they end up as um, roadkill by the side of the road. So that's why the subchapter five came into being. But first, let's just take a look at uh, chapter 13 versus a plain old vanilla chapter 11. Okay, so the difference between Chapter 13 and an individual slash small business bankruptcy under Plano Vanilla Chapter 11. So what are the eligibility requirements? So under a Chapter 13, you must be an individual. That is to say, you can't be a a made up entity, an artificial person such as a corporation. You have to be a human being. And so that's one of uh, the requirements. And you have to be a human being with regular income, and that can include the rents uh, that you receive from your small apartment building or your business um, uh, income from your shoe shop or your bicycle shop. Um, Because you're a human being, you have to complete a pre-filing credit counseling course, and it cannot, your bankruptcy cannot be commenced by your creditors the way creditors can commence bankruptcies in Chapter 11s. There's debt limits for individuals in Chapter 13. You can have no more than $1,157,850 of secured debt. So secured debt, that's something, there's a security interest held in addition to the debt, mortgage or automobile. And you can have no more than $419,275 worth of unsecured debt credit cards and the like. Now, a Chapter 11, you can be an individual or you can be a corporation or you can be a limited liability company. And there's no income requirements per se in a Chapter 11. 
if an individual, he or she must complete the pre-filing credit counseling course, just as in a chapter 13. And um, if it's a corporation, it can be commenced by the appropriate number of creditors as spelled out in the bankruptcy code. Now, as far as voluntary dismissal, you file this thing, you want to get out because it's not going to work. If you file a chapter 13, you can dismiss your own case at any time absent you filing it in bad faith. If you filed it in bad faith, everybody can jump in and whip your behind. In a chapter 11, you have to get court approval. So now when we come back, we're going to continue our discussion of some of the key legal issues that you need to think about to save your small business, really focusing in on the difference between a chapter 13 versus a chapter 11. And then we conclude that we're going to look at this new hybrid kid, uh, ch- subchapter 5, chapter 11. But first, we're going to take a short break, and I'll see you on the other side. Now back to Selwyn's Law. Once again, your host, Selwyn Whitehead. Welcome back to Selwyn's Law as we continue our discussion on some of the key issues you need to consider when trying to save your distressed small business. That is to say, what do you need to consider in choosing between a Chapter 13 or Chapter 11? Again, the plain old existing Chapter 11 that was developed many, many moons ago for large corporations. Uh, Heretofore, small businesses, some of my small business clients, we try to squeeze ourselves into or expand ourselves into um, a Chapter 11 while trying to pull down the umbrella of some of the requirements of a Chapter 11. And it's really, really hard to do, a la why Congress came up with the subchapter five. So first, let's just, again, continue down our path to understanding the difference between uh, Chapter 13 and the regular Chapter 11. So we talked about eligibility. Now we're going to talk about administrative requirements. And in Chapter 13, a debtor can continue to use her existing bank accounts. Okay? Because there's going to be a trustee that's going to be handling the administrative functions, collecting monies, and paying them out to creditors according to a plan that's been approved. So... The Chapter 13 debtor, small business, individual person, mom and pop, bicycle shop, or bakery, they can continue with their banking relationships. And the debtor or debtors can continue to possess her assets as opposed to turning them over to a Chapter 7 trustee. Or let me say it another way, the Chapter 7 trustee coming in and getting those assets. The Chapter 13 debtor continues to live in his or her house. And uh, might or might not pay the mortgage directly to the um, mortgage holder or might pay it through the, um, through the um, uh, Chapter 13 trustee, but the debtor remains in control and in possession of her assets. The debtor's tax status doesn't change. You're still going to be filing your tax returns and paying your taxes under your Social Security number if you're in the Chapter 13. The debtor pays the standing trustee who acts as the dispersing agent of the plan payments, okay? So you make, you, ha- you have net disposable income after you take care of your reasonable living and business expenses of $1,000. You pay the $1,000 to the trustee. She will distribute that money according to the plan to your creditors and or your attorney, perhaps. And there's a filing fee of $310, and this thing's changed. Now, if you are the plain old uh, uh, vanilla Chapter 11, with limited exceptions, 
the debtor must close all of her pre-petition bank accounts and open up new accounts in a depository of banking entities that are approved by the United States trustee. That, that you know, the police guy that we talked about a couple of weeks ago that's charged with uh, making sure that the bankruptcy process maintains its integrity and the Chapter 11 um, um, Department of Justice, an attorney will come in and make an appearance in your case. They also will make sure that you do what it is that you need to do to be able to be in a Chapter 11, including closing your pre-existing accounts unless there's special circumstances. One might be that, you know, you're out in the boondocks and there's only one bank for 5,000 miles. And so maybe you need to keep that bank account, but it's going to be tagged as a debtor in possession account. Notwithstanding that situation, you close that account and you open up something called a debtor in possession account where the banking entity is going to be in a relationship with the Department of Justice to make sure that, you know, there might not be so much embezzlement going on. I'm not accusing anybody of embezzlement. That's an ugly word, but that's why you have a debtor in possession account in a financial institution that's approved by the Department of Justice. Okay. The debtor's assets are transferred to this fiction called the bankruptcy estate. Now, it's also a bankruptcy estate in the chapter uh, 13, but it's more tangible in a chapter 11. So your estate controls the assets, even if you're an individual. Now, the debtor must obtain a new uh, federal ID in, in, in most instances and not in all instances once Again, this is in a chapter 11. Again, another mechanism for uh, proper supervision to be uh, conducted over this type of bankruptcy. The debtor's estate is a separate taxable entity from the debtor and the debtor's old estate. The debtor has must make a short year election after consultation with her CPA. So, you can bifurcate the tax year. If one of them would end the date of the filing, no, the date before the filing, and then the new tax year will be from the date of the filing onward until either the current year or the fiscal year conclusion. So that's why Chapter 11s are historically more expensive because you have to have these professionals in, in your case. You have to have a lawyer like me. You have to have a CPA who consults with me to make sure that you uh, follow the line. And one of the reasons why you need a CPA is to produce these income and expenditure reports called monthly operating reports that must be submitted on time. Not submitting those documents showing your ins and outs and the cash flow and your bottom line is, is just cause to have your case dismissed. Now, you notice you didn't have to have that in a Chapter 13. Because the trustee is administering the estate for you. The filing fee for Chapter 11 is $1,717. That's substantially more than filing for Chapter 13. And you must produce documents required by the United States trustee and attend an initial interview prior to, and in addition to the 341 hearing that most individual human being debtors have to attend. So there's this massive collection of data that is given off to the Department of Justice 
for them to go through and see if there's anything hinky going on in your chapter 11 case. And I've already defined a hinky. That's where something smells like a rat and there's likely a dead rat um, um, outside the door or maybe in the basement. So it's the trustee's job to go through and make sure that uh, criminal types or people trying to take advantage of the process are not the kinds of people that we want filing for bankruptcy. So you have collection of data. Then there is an initial interview with a lawyer, well, usually a financial person at the Department of Justice. And they want to make sure that, you know, the documentation is there and there's a legitimate purpose for you to be in a Chapter 11. And then in addition to that, there is a 341 hearing. That's the meeting of the creditors where you'll, you will be giving testimony under oath, uh, swearing under penalty of perjury that you are you and you and your lawyer completed the initial filings and to the best of your knowledge and belief, everything that you signed under penalty of perjury is correct. And, is correct. and there is a recording of that information and uh, it's kept on file. And so say you wake up, you know, a year from now and say, well, I don't really want to be in this bankruptcy because I'm having to file these reports and someone is constantly, you know, haranguing me for stuff. I'm sick of this. I'm just going to say I didn't, I didn't want to be in this bankruptcy. Someone just cooked up these documents out of whole cloth. And so I want out of here. Well, that's not a, not the appropriate way to ask to have your case dismissed. And so you got to remember now there's a recording of you under oath saying that, you know, you and Selwyn consulted with each other and she got information from you to complete your documents and you signed them. So I don't think that's a really good idea, but that's one of the reasons why the 341 hearing is recorded. And also your creditors can come there and start talking smack about why it is um, they think you, you don't believe you, you shouldn't be in bankruptcy because you, 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 you took some money from them under false pretenses. So, you know, this is a very public process and it's only good for, for um, honest people. Now you can be stupid and be honest, but you really shouldn't be dishonest, even if you think you're very smart. Okay. And then there's fees involved. You're going to, you pay the chapter 13 trustee from, she gets a, a piece of the action as it were. She gets a commission that's paid in, as part of your plan payments. Now, the amount varies according to jurisdiction, and it can be up to 10% of the total distribution that you pay to your creditors. So if you have to pay $1,000 to all of your creditors, you're going to pay $1,100 in a situation where the amount is 10% for chapter thirteen for the Chapter 13 trustee. If the plan is not confirmed, the t- trustee does not get paid, and her creditors receive no distribution. And the money paid in goes back to the debtor. But you also likely have lost the reason why you filed. Now, as far as fees in a Chapter 11, they're paid quarterly directly to the United States trustee. They're based on the total amount of expenditures that the debtor, including personal living expenses, as detailed in their monthly operating report, which must be filed monthly with the court. And they must be paid and not are not contingent upon the plan being confirmed. Okay, and it must be paid as long as your case is open. So as we're running out of time, I don't want to rush through this. So we're going to cut it here and um, we're going to leave it here for now. Uh, But when we come back the next time, we're going to pick up here where we left off and talk about attorney's fees and the like. Uh, So, um, you know, as as I'm known for saying here on Selma's Law, we want to stay on the right side of the law. And sometimes the right side of the law can help us 
keep our business going because we need our business to pay our bills, take care of our kids, put food on the table, take care of grandma and Aunt Sally, and take care of ourselves and pay, pay our employees. So that's why I say an entrepreneur who's willing to take the risk for starting a business needs to understand that when he or she runs into hard times, the United States government, our constitution, might be able to help out in bringing in the Calvary to help us keep our businesses going. So, again, leave it there for now. Till next time, please stay safe. Please mask up. Please keep distance from each other. Please voluntarily quarantine yourself, even if you feel fine, because we owe that to each other. So, till next time, take care. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Selwyn's Law. Remember, the law office of Selwyn Whitehead is a designated debt relief agency under the federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking relief under the bankruptcy code. When it comes to your finances and your rights, seek no other than the law office of Selwyn Whitehead. Selwyn is your go-to finance attorney, specializing in estate planning, wealth management, bankruptcy, tax, and real estate law. In other words, Selwyn knows her way around the dollar, and your rights are protected by our laws. Protect your money. Know your rights. Partner with Selwyn Whitehead. For immediate assistance, or if you have questions, call 510-633-1276, 510-633-1276, or go to SelwynWhitehead.com. The preceding paid program is sponsored by the Law Office of Selwyn Whitehead, who is solely responsible for its content. 